Welcome to another Top of the Table interview. Join us as we hear stories and advice from MDRT Top of the Table qualifiers. Welcome everybody, I'm Sandy Chassel and this is Top of the Table and today I have the pleasure of talking with Van Miller. Van's been in the business 49 years. He tells people that he struggled during the first 16 years, but when he got it, he made MDRT. The next year was court of the table, then he was top of the table, and he's been top of the table for 30 years. Um, Van has shared the ideas that made him successful all over the world. Uh, he's been the main platform speaker for MDRT conferences, for top of the table meetings, for NAFA conventions, uh, and, and many others. And he's made despite uh, a schedule that I think is gargantuan. He's, he's made numerous contributions to the industry. And yet he tells people he's shy. The last program I saw him do, he asked them to skip the introduction altogether. So I'm not gonna spend a whole lot of time uh, talking about him. I'm gonna welcome you, Van, and thank you for giving us this time. Thank you. I, please, I'm always afraid everybody's going to find out. I don't know what the heck I'm talking about. <laughs> Sandy, it's, it's really important. It's not fake humility. It's, uh, I believe that the minute I start thinking I know something, I'm in trouble. I want to always have that edge where uh, I want to be asking questions. I want to find out all the things that I don't know. And there's still a ton of those things left. And there's still a, a quite a number of things that I can do better. And to be very honest with you, since we're doing this today, I'm going to tell you something. I haven't left my house in seven days. I just, you know, people sometimes don't believe it. But even people like me go through times where they get depressed or they get down or they lose their energy or whatever way you want to describe it. But uh, that happens to me occasionally because I really am very self-conscious. I'm very shy. I'm very much a loner. And the reason that I want agents to know this is because I learned how to do this. There's nothing natural about it. I'm not naturally charming. I'm not good looking. I'm not uh, thin and, and all of those kinds of things. Uh, I, I, I want everybody to understand that you can learn how to do this. And if you learn how to do it correctly, nobody will pay attention to any of those things. They'll only pay attention that they want the answers to those questions. And that's what transformed my life and my career is that when it stopped being about me and was totally about my prospect or my client or my customer, depending on what's the most compliant word, um, I, I, that's what changed my career. Now in the sales presentation, I'm completely invisible in it. It's not about me. It's about my customer. And it's as simple as I can possibly make it. And I work on make it, making it simpler and simpler and simpler because most people's attention spans have shortened dramatically. And if I can't keep them interested, they're really not going to get any of this. And if I can, I know I'm talking a lot, but I want to make sure I get this all in. I have agents who come to me all the time and they say, man, I'm not selling this life insurance until I can teach people about it. 
And I stop and I look at him and I say, can I ask you a question? And they go, yeah. I said, so you've consciously decided that you would like to be paid like a teacher for the rest of your life. Because that's not our job. Our job is not to teach. If it took you months, even years to learn it, you're certainly not going to teach somebody in an hour or two. Your job is to inspire people to take action. And the way you do that is not by telling them they're doing something wrong or telling them some information. It's by asking them, boy, have you ever thought about why it would might be better to leave a whole bunch of money to your family than leave a whole bunch of money to the Internal Revenue Service or the government? Or would you prefer to set aside a whole big pile of money for a nursing home? Or would you prefer to set aside a strategy that allows you to protect against that? But if you never need the benefit, you didn't waste any of the money. Boy, wouldn't those be great questions, Mr. and Mrs. Customer? And wouldn't you like the answers to those? And the, the minute that my mind started thinking like that, I, I lose, if you're watching me, I, I'm doing this on purpose, I lose my inhibitions. I'm inhibited when I have a minute to think about what I look like or how old I am or how much I weigh or anything like that. But the minute that I'm not thinking about that and I'm thinking about, boy, how can I get as much information out in the open that they can give consideration to as quickly as possible while they're doing most of the talking, it's just made it so much fun. It's, I, I'm, I haven't been an adversary for 30 years. Everything is a great conversation. I haven't made a pitch in so long. I don't even know how long it's been. I have great conversations with people. And when we're done, they say, boy, I'd really like to find out more about that. And we're off to the races. It just makes it fun. Yeah, it's all about questions, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. Yeah, you started uh, the business uh, in the business. It took you 16 years to figure this out. And I'm going to ask you about that, but I want to roll back to 72, 73. And what got you started in the first place? Well, I had just come back from California and I was working for a company called Treasure Island, which was a discount subsidy of JCPenney. And believe it or not, I'm a very distant relative of JCPenney. Wow. Um, very distant, not where I'd be considered, you know, like a third, fourth cousin kind of a thing. So anyway, I, I went to work for JCPenney. I trained in accounting and marketing. And then when I got there at 20 years old, 21 years old, I realized that the only way I was going to get anywhere is people were going to have to die. <laughs> and, when you're, and when you're young, you're impatient. So my brother bowled with a guy who was a district manager for Bankers Life and Casualty. And they had leads. Uh, then they had a gentleman, very famous gentleman named Paul Harvey, who advertised the White Cross plan. And so we always had people to talk to. So even when I was a failure, he said, would you like to, anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. He said, would you like to um, uh, try something different? And I was really very upset with the pace of what was happening at Treasure Island. So I went and interviewed Please, you have to understand, I'm going to tell you a funny story. Not many people know this. Do you know I've never passed the written exam to be a life insurance agent? How's that possible? 
I flunked it three times. And the all three times I got 68. And the third time, please, at that time, I lived in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and the commissioner of insurance's office was in Madison, Wisconsin. And so you had to drive to Madison. There were no tests on computers. You had to drive to Madison and take the test in 1973. So I did that three times. And the third time I got a 68. And the commissioner of insurance came out and said, Van, this is the third time in a row you've taken the test. You've gotten 68 each time. You must be reading something into this. I'm going to ask you five questions. And if you get them right, we're going to pass you. And I guess I got them right. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm glad I asked this question. <laughs> and so on the way home, we stopped. My hair was down to my shoulders, down to here. And they, the district manager, who is finally so pleased that I passed, took me to a regular boys barbershop. And they took a bag and they cut all my hair off and put it in the bag. And when we got back to the office, he was the first one in the office and he walked in with the bag, pulled my hair out of the bag and held my hair up and showed everybody that I had finally passed. I really struggled. The only reason that we saw, you're not gonna believe this. Even back then in 1973, when I was a failure for 16 years, I was making three sales a day but they were $2 and $3 and $5 a month sales. So <laughs> I, I, I don't think I ever made more than $50,000 in the first 16 years, maybe 60 a couple of times, but I was making 30 to 60,000 enough to pay my bills. And at the end of that 16 years, I now had two children and a wife and uh, it just wasn't going well. And, and I became more bitter and more ugly and more negative. I was the cancer in my agency. Would they, when they would bring in a new agent, I'd put my arm around them and say, you know, banker's life and casualty is really good. They don't issue anything, but they're really good, you know. And uh, if you don't suck up to the manager, you won't get any of the phone-ins. And I destroyed so many agents' careers. And I tell agents now, if you ever come across anybody who's like I was, avoid them like the plague because I just was not a benefit. And finally, after 16 years, they just said, we don't care what amount of production you have. You've hurt so many of our agents and you've destroyed the atmosphere in our office. You're fired. <laughs> and I was a still, I was such a jerk. I said to him, that's okay. I'll just transfer to one of the other agencies in the city. And the other two agency managers came out and said, no, you won't. <laughs> no. And that's when you made the phone call to Jim Gaylord, right? Yes. I, and I'll owe him forever. And he's an adopted father. You know, he's a, one of the really fine people. Anyway, what he did very simply is he, he taught me to ask questions. And he changed my life dramatically. And that was the first year, my 17th year, that I made the Million Dollar Roundtable. I just want to stop and say one more thing, and then I'd like to move on from this. Sure. What I want everybody to understand is, do you realize how stupid I was? I had many of the greats of our industry, John Savage, Ben Feldman, Roger Zener, Tom Wolfe, many of the greats of our industry who were sharing with me ideas where I could be better 
and I never tried any of them because I would sit out in the audience and go, there's no way I could do that. It's not possible. And so guess what? For 16 years, there was no way I could do that because I'd already convinced myself that I couldn't. And that's what I want you to get out of this. Not that there was some miracle that happened. There wasn't a miracle. I got forced into a corner where I had no other choice. And because I was so stupid, until I got forced into that corner, that was when I finally had to do what they said, well, will you, you have to try this, you have to ask this, you have to do this. Um, and I, I said, okay, I, I don't wanna be fired, what do I gotta do? And so uh, that was how ridiculously stupid I was. What I'm hoping is that everybody that listens to this will go, well, geez, what if I could do it without having to go through 16 years of grief? What if I could learn eight or 10 questions right now where I could double or triple or quadruple my appointments? Would that be smarter with that? And you know what? I just made a mistake. That was one of the words that I took out of my vocabulary is the word smarter. Because every time you use that word, you're attacking somebody's intelligence. I took it out of my vocabulary and I still, that's it's so brilliant that this is happening because you see, I still even make lots of mistakes. And so the word I use normally is, would it be more beneficial for you, for you if you learn these questions, would it help you to achieve what you're trying to achieve faster? It's the same way I talk to a customer. I don't say, would it be smarter to do this or smarter to do this? Would it be more beneficial? Would it be more effective? Would it be more... Uh, 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 efficient for you and your family to do it this way then. And so I'm not attacking their intelligence. I'm asking them to give consideration. So even one word makes a difference in a quality conversation with a customer. Yeah, And that's what happened. And so ever since then, I fell in love. And I'm hoping as people watch this, that they see how much I adore what I do. That's also part of the secret. This is not work to me. This is not a job to me. This is not a career. This is my life. And I love it. And I got a second chance. And I work on it every day. And I practice, practice, practice. That's one of the words I hope we get to today is practice, practice, practice. All these people that think they have to study. No, no, no. They, you, yes, you study for a little bit, but then you practice what you study so that you can do it without thinking about it. So was the whole change about asking questions where you hadn't been asking questions before, or was there more to it? Because you jumped right away into MDRT, core to the table, top of the table, something made that happen. Was it all about questions or was there more to it? No, not initially. Initially, I lucked out. There was a couple of things way back then most agents won't remember. We used to sell what are now called mechs, single premium life. Yes. And I'd go to somebody who had a million bucks at 55 years old and I'd say, here's the deal. You give me a million bucks now and you can take out 100000 a year, first in, first out. That's the way the law was back then for the next 10 years from 55 to 65. And then at 65, when you're a lower tax bracket, we'll start to draw money from this million dollars that we did. And so for a few years, I made top of the table because I learned about some products that, and then I hunted for those people. 
but eventually I became a student of the industry. Um, I adore people like John Savage. He just, I, I just, I, I don't even know how to explain. Uh, uh, Roger Zener, Tom Wolf, Ben, ben Feldman, um, Norm Levine. Gosh, amazing, amazing, amazing wordsmiths. The way they they talked about life insurance like it was a a piece of property that you could hold in your hand and you know to learn those things and then what I then started to do is I studied all the great salespeople uh, you know and all the great motivators um, and uh, if you would ever see my some people have a wall full of books I have a wall full of CDs and DVDs of all the great motivators and inspirers and and uh, Dennis Waitley is a guy that really changed my life. Um, the, the, the power of winning. You know, I used to drive around in my car and if there was a traffic jam, I'd be screaming at everybody else. And I was exhausted by the time I got to wherever I was going because I was angry, just screaming like crazy. And he said something to me that blew my mind. He said, you know, whenever you blame somebody else, you give all the power of your life away. And I went, what, yeah. what, what? And I didn't realize that that's what I was doing. And so the, the most important thing that I learned from him was it's nobody's, it's never anybody else's fault. It's always my fault because if it's my fault, I can fix it. I can, I'm in control of it. When it's somebody else's fault, I can't fix it. There's nothing I can do about it. And so I never burn any bridges anymore. I, when somebody says, Van, uh, I, I don't think uh, we're going to do anything. I say, oh boy, I totally understand why you'd say that, but will you promise me, will you remember just a couple of questions and then I'll get out of your hair right away. And they go, well, well, sure. Okay. And so the first question is, will you promise me, promise me that you'll remember if this gets way worse than you think it's going to get, and you don't get the help you'll need that you promise that you'll remember that you know I can stop the bleeding immediately. Will you promise me you'll remember that? They go, yeah. And I go, second, this is even more important. Promise me that you'll remember that once we stop the bleeding, I could still put you in position to take advantage of what's ever happening. Man, it was so great to meet you. I really enjoyed my time. Thank you so much. Now you wanna know what happens? I bet you more than 50% of those people call me back because they were lying to me. They didn't have another advisor. They were just trying to get rid of me. It wasn't appropriate time. They were kind of egotistical about how well they were doing in the markets or whatever. And then the other thing is they think they have an advisor and they're not big enough potatoes that when something really bad happens that they get called right away. And so they start to get a sense of, wow, I'm not really ranking high up there. And maybe I should give Van a call and find out if he can really do what he's talking about. So I never burn any bridges. I've always thought of this as not making a sale, but building a career. And I wanted to build my name as a resource, as an advocate, as an advisor, rather than as a salesperson. Yeah, and that obviously worked for you too. But where did the people come from? I, I mean, I'm going to talk about now, but back then when, when you were accelerating the way you were, 
Well, I was, I was, I learned this a bunch of questions, mm -hmm. uh, questions that inspire people to take action. Uh, one of my earlier questions is, do you think there's going to be another financial catastrophe like 2007 and eight, you know, and before that it was 2000 to 2002. And then I wouldn't say, did you lose any money? Because if you say that to a man, the man will say back immediately, yes, but I made it back already. Yeah. And now you're stuck. That wasn't the intent of the question. So I say to them, do you want to happen this time? What happened the last time? And they always go, no. And I say, so what's your strategy to make sure it doesn't happen again? And where is it written that in order to make money, you have to lose a whole bunch of money first? If I could ask you a series of questions that would allow you to clarify a strategy that would allow you to never lose any money ever again, that would be good. But here's the good part. This is the part I don't think we as advisors, as agents, ever do well enough. See, why did I just do that, Sandy? Because they're so used to us saying we do everything great. I just told them I did something not so great. And so it perks them up right away. That, <laughs> what is that? That, you know, is we don't share with you that you can actually take advantage of these situations. We haven't done a good enough job of sharing that with you. What if every time this happened for the rest of your life, you could sit in your basement and go, oh, this is exciting. Wouldn't that be fun for the rest of your life? And they just can't resist themselves. They want to find out. And then I show up and I really blow their mind. I ask them another series of questions and they go, actually, I bet you it's five, six times out of 10. They'll say, so when are you going to try and sell me something? They actually say that. And <laughs> right. they go, well, I didn't come here to do that. I came here to make sure that I kept my promise that I was going to ask you these questions that would help you clarify how you could be in control of what's happening rather than letting everything else be in control of what's happening. Wouldn't that be valuable information? And they go, wow. You know, so then they watch. This is how they let me off the hook. Well, so what would you recommend in that situation? What do you think I should do? Well, what I try to teach agents is that because I'm patient, they just changed my relationship with them. The minute they ask me to help them, I'm no longer a salesperson. I'm an advocate. I'm their advisor. I'm their counselor. They asked me to help. I didn't see. I'll give you a quick example. When you do a sales presentation, sometimes one of the hot questions in the business is, do you think taxes will be higher in the future? I go, just yes or no. And they go, yes. Now I ask agents, why do I do that yes or no stuff? Because I don't want a big, long dissertation. I want to get to the point. Do you think taxes are going to be higher in the future? Just yes or no? Yes. With everything that's going on in our country, you think taxes could even be way higher with all the money we're going to need for all these people that are living longer and all this. And they go, absolutely. Now here's what most agents, 90% of the agents in America do right now. Oh, I got a policy. I got a, oh boy, are you kidding me? I got a strategy for you right now. And they're immediately identified as a salesperson. I'm more patient. I ask a third question. I say, you know what? I hope you'll have some fun with me. I'm going to ask you a question now that I bet you nobody's ever asked you before. Nobody. I bet you have other advisors that have been here, accountants, attorneys, all kinds of advisors, and nobody's ever asked this question. Are you ready? 
And I do it just like that every time. And they go, yeah. I said, do you want to pay those taxes? And they go, boy, you know, well, no, I don't want to pay those taxes. So watch what I do. So what are you going to do to make sure that you don't have to pay those taxes? You're going to let the government just come and get more and more and more stuff. And a few times, don't misunderstand me, it doesn't take long. But there's been a couple of times where it's taken five minutes of me asking them that. And the customer finally gets angry and says, well, isn't that what the hell you're here for is to tell me what I can do? Now, because I was patient, they again changed the relationship. But what usually happens is after I ask two or three of those questions and I say to them, you know, so you're just going to let the government come and take your money. You mean to tell me you wouldn't be interested in a way where you could be in control of how much they take? And what if you could completely eliminate them from the picture? Gosh, wouldn't you want to know about something like that? And they and they finally they go, well, well, what do you think I should do or what would you recommend? And I tell agents, do you understand? Now it's not adversarial anymore. I'm on their team. They hired me. All we got to do is sit down and go through a fact finder, find out what's really going on. And I'm, I've made a sale. And I do it in literally minutes, literally minutes. And I have a five-question sales presentation because everybody doesn't or, or isn't interested in just taxes. You know, 61, I'll show you how weird the United States has gotten. 61% of Americans paid no federal income tax last year. Yet many of those people contributed to an IRA or a 401k, and they got no tax deduction for it. What kind of sense does that make? So they get no tax deduction on the front side, and they're going to have to pay a pile of taxes on the back side because the government's doing all kinds of tricks right now. They're changing RMDs, required minimum distributions. They're making it age 72. They're trying to up it to age 75. They're trying to even eliminate them. And I ask everybody, why would the government do that? And the answer is easy. Because when you're a married couple, if you make less than $112,000 a year, I made the rule. It's the Sandy rule of 112.12. And here's the rule. So it's ever my customer. It's their rule. It's the Sandy rule of 112.12. And it says this. If you make $112,000, you're in the 12% bracket. And then I pull out a thing called wage statistics from Social Security. And I show them, do you understand? 93% of America doesn't make $112,000. So if you're in the 12% marginal tax bracket, you're in the 8.58% effective tax bracket. So can I ask you something? Is the government going to make any money off of you while you're a husband and wife? No. So they didn't want you to take any money anymore. What they're hoping for is that you're going to leave that money alone until the kids get it. And then I say to grandma and grandpa, I say, will you promise not to laugh? Promise. And they go, okay. I say, if the kids inherit three or four or five or 600,000 of an IRA, are they going to stretch it over 10 years so they can reduce the income tax liability on it? Or are they going to take it in a lump sum, no matter how much taxes they have to pay? And I say, you know, they laugh and they say, well, of course they're going to take it in a lump sum. And I say, do you know how we know that? The people that win the lottery, they never take it over a period, pay period. They take it in a lump sum because they want to get their hands on the money. So that's what the government is counting on, that they'll be able to then get 30 or 40 or 50% of that money rather than 8.58%. And so, boom, 
in just to, please, we're only talking here in a couple of minutes. You have no idea with just the first of the five questions, how many people I can get to go, boy, I want to find out more about that. And then when they say, uh, you sure? I go, are you sure? And they say, yes. I say, well, you understand in order to make sure that we do exactly what you want to do, I'm going to have to ask you a lot more questions. You know what that is? It's a fact finder. <laughs> That's great. That's and then great. you just, you ease right into it. They're already used to answering questions. And I'm not asking the questions so I can find out the information. I'm asking the questions so they can clarify in their own mind exactly what it is they want to do. It's not about me. It's about them. Yeah, let's, let's um, consolidate in that situation. What are the five questions? Okay, the first question is, do you think taxes will be higher in the future? Just yes or no. And then there's, I'm only going to tell you the front end. I won't, unless you want me to do the whole deal. No, that's right. Second question is, do you think benefits will be lower in the future? Higher deductibles, higher premiums, more out-of-pocket expense. Doesn't that mean a lower standard of living for you and your family? Third, if there's higher taxes and lower benefits, is that going to be enough to fix everything in our country? Of course not. So the government's going to probably have to print more what? Money. And then I say to the people, well, what is that? Now, you want to hear something? 50% of the people don't know whether it's inflation or deflation. Hmm. So you never embarrass a customer. You ask them another question. You go, gosh, isn't that inflation? See, you never embarrass them. And then you say, if they don't know. And then you say, can I give you an example? If you retire at age 65 on $50,000 a year, you and your wife, and we have 7% inflation, and then you stop and you say, don't we have 7% inflation right now? And gosh, they're really worried that it could last a long time. And before I go further, do you know that we've had 7% inflation another time from 1978 to 1990? We jokingly call it Jimmy Carter inflation. And do you know that if I were to ask you about this, you could remember paying 10% for a home mortgage, 12, 15, 18% for an automobile loan, and money markets that paid 18, 19, and 20%. You could remember all of that. Well, that's inflation. All of that is inflation. So if we have just 7% inflation, there's an accounting rule called the rule of 72. And it allows us to approximate how many years before you need twice as much money to live on. So if we have 7% inflation, 7 into 72 means approximately 10 years. So when you're 75 years old, you'll need 100000 a year to, to purchase the same amount of goods and services you did with 50. Or said another way, your 50 will now only buy 25000 of goods and services. And if you live till 85, which is when most couples are living to nowadays, and we have another 7% inflation period, here's what's going to happen. You'll need 200000 a year to have the same purchasing power that you started out with at 50000 a year at age 65. Now, I have a question for you. You're not working anymore. How are you going to do that? And what if there was actually a way, instead of being hurt by inflation, could actually take advantage of it? Gosh, when would you want to know? Before or after the inflation hurts you? See, after every one of these, if you've heard what I've done, I ask an action question. Do you want to pay those taxes? 
If you lose your benefits, do you want to find out how to replace those benefits before or after you lose them? Now I'm asking, what if you could use, um, learn about how to use inflation as a benefit rather than a harm? I'm always asking an action question at the end of them. The fourth question is if all of those things happen, higher taxes, lower benefits, government's going to print more money, isn't that going to cause more and more volatility? And boy, if you make a mistake, could you lose some money? If you make five mistakes, could you lose a lot of money? So then I stand up at their table and I say, what's your strategy to not be hurt by the bad volatility? And gosh, what if there was a strategy that would allow you to take advantage of the good volatility? When would you want to know about it before or after the next downturn? <laughs> and finally, the, the, I say, there's a man in our industry, his name is Tom Hagna. You should Google him, I tell them. And what he's taught us, it was so important. Stop and think about this. He's taught us that it's important to have income that you can depend on that you can't outlive. Because stop and think about this. Let's say you have a million dollars and you have it invested in a CD right now paying one-tenth of a percent. Aren't you going to have to spend fifty to a hundred thousand of that million dollars every year just to maintain your standard of living? And isn't that going to eat your principal? And wouldn't that cause you to have one of the worst retirements you could possibly have? So what he has taught us is that it is vital to understand that longevity is not just a risk; it's actually a risk multiplier. The longer you live, the more we're going to have to deal with taxes loss of benefits, inflation, and volatility. So here's what we recommend. What if you retired at age 65 and you died at 70? Would we have any trouble planning your retirement? Nah, it'd be easy. But if you retired at age 65 and you live till you're 95 and you run out of money when you're 72, can I ask you something? What do you think the rest of your retirement would look like? And by the way, before you answer, isn't 72 the new 52? Aren't 72-year-old people doing what 52-year-old people used to do? So let me ask you something. What do you want to happen now that you know those five things that most people consider to be challenges? What if instead of challenges, you would never have to worry about those things ever again. In fact, every time they occurred, you'd get excited because you knew it would create an opportunity that you could take advantage of. Wouldn't that be a better way to live the rest of your life? I love it. It's all in questions. I, I tell people that I work with that anything you can tell someone, you can get them to tell you if you ask the right questions. And you have them. And by the way, uh, if you're watching this, uh, listening to it on the podcast, uh, vanmiller.com, you can download 40 of Van's favorite questions. And also uh, on that website, you can sign up for his amazing newsletter where he gleans information from um, hundreds of sources, puts them all together and creates a newsletter for you. It's well worth it uh, for you to do that. And I hope you don't mind that shameless plug, um, Van. Oh, no, I, I just hated it. You know, I've been doing, Sandy, please, because I know you've been doing this for a while. You know what? I've been doing it now for 16 years. And that means um, uh, 
times 12 months is 160 plus uh, 32, uh, 192 newsletters. Do you know what I mean? And with that 192 newsletters, it's hard to think about what to write every month. It's just, it's just ridiculous. Oh, that's my little, excuse me. Bits, quiet. <laughs> that's my little puppy. I'm 70 years old and he's oh. my first pet I have ever had in my life. And he has absolutely changed my life. He's, he, I, where I used to come home and turn on the TV. Now I come home and he sits on my lap and, uh, he, I just sit there for an hour and a half and I unwind. I'm as calm as I've ever been in my whole life. It's, uh, it's just spectacular. And, uh, I, I love it. So anyway, uh, just an aside from that, please understand everybody. What's hard every month is I have writer's block. I read 14 newspapers a day, 250 periodicals a month, and I get 50 Google alerts every day. Now, if there, you understand there's 20 articles in each Google alert or more, so that's 1,000 articles a day. When I start to write the newsletter, it's a stack. I can't even hold my hands far enough. It's got <laughs> at least 1,000 articles in it. And the reason that I do that is I want to be current every month and I want to write about and figure out a way to simplify the things that I've shared with um, the people that subscribe to the newsletter. Um, it, it's so important to me that I do a good job with it. It's, it's, believe it or not, it's the hardest thing I do every single month. Um, is writing and, and trying to make sure that information is okay. And so I, what I want you to understand is if you subscribe to the newsletter, we send you bonuses. Uh, some people like to read stuff. But my wife and some of my friends and many of the agents are screaming at me all the time. I have outlines for seven books and I just don't have the time to sit down and write them. And I actually, if I, if I would do that, it would help because many people don't like this format. They like to read it over and over and over. And uh, I, I, I have to get that done as soon as possible. But please understand during the pandemic, the last two years have been the two best years of my career. Um, I've written more business and in front of people, you know, when the pandemic was in its full stride, I was still knocking on doors and sitting in front of people. Only what I did is I went and got a, one of those gigantic plastic bags and I put 200 masks in it and I would go to the door and I would say to the customer, it's nice out today. Why don't we sit outside on the, on a bench or, and I actually had folding lawn chairs that I had in the back of my car that I would bring along. So if they were uncomfortable with me coming in the house, we'd sit outside and I would say to them, I hope you'll laugh, but I'll wear anywhere between one and 200 masks just to make sure you're safe. And I showed them, I had it made big, um, all my vaccination shots and everything. So what you do is I problem solved. I found a way to still get in front of my people, even though people were very, very worried about interactions with other people. And that's what all of you can do. You can, if you think it through and you think in terms of what your customer is about, you can always find a solution that will be beneficial to them. And, and so that's what's been so amazing. 
and please understand this you know i if you watched me when sandy was introducing me i still blanch at all of this uh, in fact the only thing i brag about at top of the table is that i've done it 32 years in a row and the reason i brag about that is the consistency in the history of the business, remember, I was one of the biggest dirt balls the insurance industry has ever seen. But there are only 157 agents who have made top of the table more than 20 times. And I'm one of them, and I was a dirt ball. And so uh, the rest of it, I know plenty of agents who write more business than I do, um, bigger cases, all of that kind of stuff. I'm not jealous. I'm learning from them. So I have lots of heroes. Uh, David McKnight's one of my heroes. We're really close friends. Uh, Don Blanton, uh, Tom Hagna, uh, Ed Slott. Uh, I could go on and on. Uh, I'm missing some names. Uh, I'm trying to give current names of the older names. Uh, Charlie Flowers, Charlie Tremendous Jones, um, uh, John Savage, uh, I, I have mentors. I have heroes. I have I have a coach. I'm I I I want to admit this in front of Sandy, um, um, and I'm having a stroke right in front of you because I can't think of it. Oh yes, uh, Jim Ruda has been friends with me for a very very long time, and he helps me to organize. I'm sometimes not very organized with the way I put information out there, and. So what I'm telling you is a 32 year in a row top of the table guy needs a coach. And so what I'm hoping that you're going to get from this is you have a guy here who's invested tons of his time, Sandy has, to interview some of the really great salespeople in your industry. He knows what they do well and what they don't do well. And boy, if you could gain access to that information in an organized manner, wouldn't that help you achieve whatever you were trying to achieve uh, as far as being a successful insurance and financial professional? And, and so uh, the greatest baseball players that have ever lived, greatest football players, they all have coaches. Tiger Woods had coaches, you know, on and on. You must have somebody who is watching over you to see are you have you changed your swing pattern a little bit have you have you lost your way by your talking too much or ha, are you not asking the right questions should you shorten your presentation uh please i'm going to tell you very candidly i have no sales presentations longer than 15 minutes if i haven't convinced them inspired them to take action in 15 minutes then i say goodbye and i'm not kidding because I don't want anybody to bring me down. I used to, because I had so few appointments, I'd sit with a guy for an hour and a half. And at the end, he'd say, no, nah, I wasn't going to buy anything anyway. I just wanted to hear your pitch. And, I, <laughs> and you'd walk out of there and you were so defeated emotionally and mentally and even spiritually. I just, why would people do that to you? And so forth. I just don't need that. And so I've found a way to deal with people's attention spans where I can find out very, very quickly whether I have somebody who's really interested in going through what I call a process of discovery. And that's what makes this so fun. And right now, and I'm bragging, I'm 100 appointments behind right now. And the customers 
They, they call me up. I just had one call me yesterday, angry. When are you going to come and see me? Geez, we called you three weeks ago. And you know what I say back immediately? Well, then you should have called me sooner. I have to do these in the order that people called. And these other people must have been more interested than you. So they called me before you did. <laughs> but since you're on the phone, but what? Since you're on the phone with me, I'll be happy to make an appointment with you right now. But the soonest I can do it is in early March. Is that okay? You know, and so uh, again, you're always, you want them to, you, it's like, I don't want it to sound facetious, but it's like you're taking it away from them. And the more you take it away from them, the more they want it. And so I'm, I'm, I don't offer to help anybody unless they ask me to help. If I go there and make a whole presentation for 45 minutes, let's say, and they don't ask me to help, I shake their hand, thank them and say bye, because I'm not going to fight with them to make a sale, but I am going to leave them with a couple of questions that they'll remember me if something happens, because I'm building a career, I'm not trying to make a sale. Yeah, one of the questions I had for you is you, you talk about doing 30 to 50 appointments a week for seven or eight months out of the year. And I'm saying, how is that even possible? But as I'm listening to you, I'm hearing, well, if I'm only taking 15 minutes with them, I, I think most of the time is between the appointments uh, and the rest is just- um, Sandy, uh, I don't mean to interrupt, but even that I schedule them topographically so uh -huh. like if I'm in the north side of Milwaukee, I don't then drive all the way to the south side of Milwaukee. Um, and uh, I've learned because of Zoom, I have clients in 30 states now. So I can sell people over the phone. And the reason I can sell them over the phone is because I'm not telling them anything. I'm asking them stuff. And they're selling themselves, if that makes any sense. The same way with a Zoom. I think Zoom is the hardest sales there is. And the reason is, is because people lose their attention. And if you're doing all the talking and you're putting all kinds of PowerPoints up there and all kinds of illustrations, you lost them. While the illustrations up there, they don't know what it means. They're scanning through their phone and all of that kind of stuff. So I don't do any of that. I ask them questions and I get them to do the talking. You know, again, one of the things that a, an agent asked me recently, and I never thought about it, they, they asked me, because I'm only given an hour, two hours, even three hours is not a long time to share how to do 49 years of a career. <laughs> you know, it just isn't. So I'm doing it very quickly, trying to pack in as much information as possible. And they say, do you go that fast with your customers? And I go, oh my God, no, what a great question. I ask them the question and I wait for the answer. I'm just trying to make sure that I get as much information into the time frame that we've been allotted so that um, you get the idea of the process. If I was doing all the talking, I wouldn't be making any sales. It's not about me. Uh, I really quickly, I'm going to make this talk in about another, uh, I have five words. The first word, it's very important is questions. If there, everything should be done with questions, everything. If you're telling people stuff, in fact, I'll, I'll have some fun. I don't get to do this on tape very often. 
I say, you know, when you tell people stuff, I know a lot of people over 65. I know a lot of women, business owners. They don't want me to tell them what to do. They don't, nobody tells them what to do. They want me to be a resource. They want me to be somebody who asks them to give consideration to some things that they normally don't give consideration to. And they go, oh, okay. So here's the deal. When I ask questions, I say, you stop and think about this. If you tell people a bunch of information, and then I love Tom Hagner, he's so wonderful. He goes, and if it's mathematically, scientifically, and economically 100% correct, I even added on to it. I say, and all of a sudden the heavens open and God comes down, stands next to me and says, you know what Van just told you is scientifically, mathematically, and economically 100% correct. Do you know that half of the country would still say we were wrong? Half the country. Uh, so when you tell people something, you're pretty much making a decision that you're going to eliminate half the people that you're ever going to talk to, because you could be perfect. You could have the perfect policy. They could like the way you look, the way you talk, everything's right. But if you say one thing they don't like, they're not going to buy from you. So I don't ever say anything they don't like. I just keep asking them questions. <laughs> so I never, I, well, I never get in any trouble because I'm only interested in their opinion. And I ask them, I say, can I ask you something? If I'm telling you something, how can I find out what it is that you are really trying to accomplish? Wouldn't it be more important if we had an organized methodology to ask you these questions so that you can look at me and say, oh, now I understand exactly what I want to do. Man, I need you to do this, this, and this for me. Will you do that for me, Van? And I'll go, of course I will. But that's my job is to help you identify what it is that you absolutely need to do. And so that's the problem with telling people. So everything I say, we used to make a joke about, it. they used to say in the business, Sandy, you're going to remember this. You're going to laugh. Whenever you're in trouble in a sales presentation, what should you do? You should ask a question. Ask a question. Yep. Well, I added on to it. What should you assume then? You should assume that every time you're in a sales presentation, you're in trouble. <laughs> then you're always asking <laughs> because questions. Because then you're always asking questions. The second word is practice. And I talk to agents all the time about it. I say, give me an example. I say to a guy that, all right, what, you, what do you do when you're not working? And the guy says, well, I golf. And I say, are you a pretty good golfer? And the guy actually said to me, I'm a minus two. So he's a really good golfer. I say, let me ask you something. If I came to you and I said, here's 50 of the best books ever written on golf, would you be any good at golf? And he goes, well, no. And no. I said, well, how'd you get good at golf? He said, well, I practice. And I said, let me ask you something. What's the difference between you and me? I'm a 16 handicap and you're a minus two. He said, well, I practice more than you do. Oh, so your swing is instinctive. You don't even have to think about it. I still have to think about it all the time. I said, isn't it the same selling insurance? When you get in front of somebody and they say to you, oh, Van, I, I absolutely love this, really think we need it, but boy, I don't think we can afford it. Instead of getting angry like I used to the first 16 years, I go, boy, that totally makes sense to me. I would understand why you'd ask that question, but doesn't that bring up another question? And they go, well, what is that? If you can't afford the premiums now, how could your family afford the problem without you being there? Oh my goodness. 
they're not thinking in those organized terms. And what we do is by asking them a question, did I embarrass him? No, I asked him to give consideration to something that he really would want to give consideration or she would want to give consideration to. And that's what the fun of this is, is that practice. And then what I say to the guy that was the minus two, I said, I have a surprise for you. Two things. First of all, do you know you practice your hobby more than you practice your profession? And he laughed and he said, well, you're right. I said, what if I told you that if I can get you to practice your profession for 90 days, that you'd have way more time to practice your hobby? Would you be interested in finding out about that? He said, well, yeah. And I said, well, when do you want to get started? You want to get started five years? See, I don't let them off the hook. I'm always there. And I do it with agents too. I don't let them breathe because I want them to understand they're responsible for everything. If they decide that they want to be successful, they can do it. It's a learned skill. If they decide they don't want to be successful, then they don't have to do the things that are necessary to be successful. This is a skill that is learned and practiced. So those are the first two words. The third word is invisibility. The more invisible in the sales presentation, the less it's about me and the more it's about the customer. And when I'm completely invisible, then the customer, all they're doing is talking about them and sharing with them, sharing with me all the things they're trying to accomplish, how they want to get there, what they worry about. Gosh, I would be angry if I lost any money. I know everything by the time they're done because all they've been doing is talking. Fourth, simplification. The simpler we make it, the bigger the sale we make. Because there's lots of people who are really good looking, really charming. They walk into a house or a business, they make a presentation and the customer will buy a $2,000 or $3,000 a year policy from them because it's not going to change their life. But then they come back with the policy three weeks later and the guy's bragging to them how they just gave $850,000 to somebody else. And then you look at them and you go, well, I do that. And they go, well, I didn't know you did that. And I wasn't sure exactly what you did because all you did was talk about you. And so what I say to them is that the simpler you make it, where the customer looks at it and goes, well, I get that. They'll give you any amount of money. They'll give you all their money. The minute they understand what it is that you're trying to do to help them, they will give you all the money. And the last word is strategies. If you think we sell life insurance, annuities, mutual funds, long-term care, critical illness, car insurance, homeowners, uh, business insurance, you're already out of the business. You just don't know it yet. We sell strategies. We show how to use these products to develop a strategy that what if you would never lose any money ever again? Would you like a strategy like that? And what if because you didn't lose any money, but you had complete access to all the money, you could take advantage of any opportunity that presented itself for the rest of your life? And Third, what if you could do all of that with reduced or total elimination of your income tax liability? Gosh, wouldn't you want to know about that? And I even have another surprise for you. What if you could use those same benefits that you're using for financial freedom, financial success, or retirement success? What if you could use all those benefits for protection, but if you didn't need the protection, you wouldn't waste one cent of money on the protection? Gosh, wouldn't you want to know about that? So think about that. If you died tomorrow, we would pay you as if you had 40 years of successful investing, income tax-free. But I don't want you to die. 
So let's say that you have a critical illness, like a heart attack, stroke, or cancer, and you can't work for a year. What if I could use, use this strategy to replace your lost income for that year? And the day you died, the strategy would replenish all the money while you used while you were alive. Man, wouldn't that be spectacular? And third, what if you had long-term care? And I stop and I say, now you understand, I was very careful about the words I used. I used long-term care. I didn't use nursing home because nursing homes are reducing dramatically. There'll be one third of the nursing homes that there presently are, while there'll be 140 million Americans turning 65 over the next 25 years. So have you ever heard of anything called a good nursing home? Isn't that kind of like an oxymoron, like jumbo shrimp? So isn't, isn't the responsibility for caring for older family members going to fall more and more on the family? And when I mean the family, the female of the family. So what if we could use your strategy that we could use almost all the values in the strategy and you could use those to pay a family member to take care of you while you were at home, not in a nursing home, their life wouldn't be disrupted. Your life wouldn't be disrupted financially. And the day you died, the strategy would replenish every cent you use so that there would be money to take care of the person that took care of you. Wouldn't that be spectacular? And, and wouldn't you want a strategy like that? And finally, if you didn't ever need long-term care, wouldn't it be amazing if you didn't have to waste any money on it? Because what we found out is that most people know they need it. In fact, statistically, it's a number like 65 or 75% of everybody who turns 65 is going to need long-term care of some kind. So, but still people say, well, what if I pay 10 or 15 or 20,000 a year for 20 years and I don't use it? Didn't I just throw that money away? Well, what if we design a strategy where you have the benefit, but if you don't need the benefit, you don't waste the money. And the ultimate goal for this money, wouldn't it be to provide a supplemental income stream of income that you could never outlive, that was income tax-free, that you could pile on top of all your other retirement income. And then when you finally die, what's ever left, we would pay to your family, your business, or your charity free of income taxes. Now, wouldn't that be a spectacular strategy? And if you knew you could do something like that, when would you want to get started? Before or after all the next downturns and higher taxes and all these other things that are going to happen. And that's how I, I what I just explained, Sandy, is a cash value life insurance policy. Sure. That's exactly what it is. That's exactly how it works. It doesn't have any riders on it. Doesn't it's just let's. I have people that live in eight hundred square foot houses that have three hundred thousand of cash value in their life insurance policy because we're we're using it to do all of those things that we just described. And when I get to the close, I say to them, "Now, now that you know all the benefits, all the value you can build, here's my question: How much value would you like to build for you and your family?" So simple. And I don't ask for a premium. I ask them to determine what the value is. And yeah. so again, even, even in the sale part, I'm not telling them anything. I'm asking them, what do you, how much do you want to build for you and your family? Yeah, that's, it's so beautiful. And I thank you so much for taking this time for, to do this with me. And I just, just, uh, 
all the questions I was going to ask you, you basically answered as you spoke. So it wasn't, wasn't much more to ask. I mean, we, we could spend time getting into why you feel this is the greatest time ever to be an insurance agent, but I think you covered it. You know, so, so can I answer that even more? Yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Because all of the establishments that we're going to depend on are not going to be able to come through for us. And one of the great things about being an American is that in America, we still have the ability to design a strategy that even if the government fails us, even if Wall Street fails us, even if the banks fail us, guess what? You can still win, but it requires that you have a strategy in place before it happens. So that's what's so neat about being an American. The other thing that I try to make sure customers understand is many of the insurance companies that we represent are so financially solid that even if the U.S. government would fail, and it won't, and I'll ex- I could spend an hour explaining why that won't happen, because they can print more money. When you when you laugh about, will the government be able to provide all the benefits? Yes, because they are backed by the full faith and confidence, taxing authority, and ability to print more money of the United States government. And until that is turned off, they'll be able to keep all their promises. But most of the financial institutions that we represent are will stand firm even if the government would fail. And that's really important that the American people understand that and that they can be in control of their futures. They don't have to lose money in order to make money. They don't have to uh, um, um, pay a lot of taxes if they don't want to. They can organize it so that they can be in control of their taxes. They don't have to be harmed by inflation. They can actually use cash value life insurance. Uh, uh, One of the sales ideas I'm going to give to the meeting after really, really quick is I'm selling tons and tons of what are called modified endowment contracts, MECs, single premium life. And here's how I'm finding them. It's so easy. It's ridiculous. I X state CDs. So everybody who sells car and homeowners knows what that means. What's your expiration date of your of your CD? 80% of the CDs in America are six-month CDs, and they come due in April and October. That's why I want to get this in this little talk here. And it's very important that you understand right now, CDs paying one-tenth of one percent, six-month CD. So I say, what if you could take a hundred thousand dollars? out of your left pocket where it's ineffective and inefficient. And I give you an example, pretend you never met me. Let's start with that pocket. If we have 7% inflation for five years, you're gonna lose 35% of the purchasing power of your money. So in order to maintain your standard of living, aren't you gonna have to take 35,000 out of that 100,000? And when you finally die, your family will only get 65,000 bucks. What if we could show you a strategy where you could take that money out of your left pocket and put it in this spectacular right pocket? Now I ask agents, why do I say it that way? Because you're not taking it away from them. You're just changing the pocket. It's not a transfer. It's a reallocation. 
it's it's a different the words matter so much to the customer and so all we're doing is we're moving it from that pocket where you're not in as much control and now we're going to put it in this pocket and if you give me a hundred thousand at your age we're going to give you a hundred and seventy thousand to face amount now let's have the same seven percent inflation happen for five years and you have to use 35,000 of your cash value in order to maintain your standard of living. And then you die again. So you've died twice in this interview. Isn't this fun? And I make a joke <laughs> out of it. And then I say, well, are we going to subtract the 35,000 from the 100,000 you gave us or 35,000 from the 170,000 face amount? And the answer is the one. So do you understand how brilliant you are? You figured out a way how to use 35% of your money while you were alive and your family will still get more than the 100,000 that you started with. Could you be any more brilliant if you tried? What a spectacular strategy. And they go, well, well, man, that's because of you. And I said, no, it has nothing to do with me. If you didn't have the 100,000, I wouldn't be recommending anything. It's because you were smart enough to save up that 100,000. And now the government is punishing you because you did everything they told you to do. And now because they didn't do what they're supposed to do, they want to come and take your money, either with taxes or the stealth tax called inflation. And, and you can't write this stuff up fast enough. I mean, I write five or six of those a week, every single week. And it's just fun. And so it's really important that you understand how to shape this information for your customer. Uh, I have a lady that just passed away who I started with her when she was 49 years old. She died at 90. She had 22 of these policies. Her children will inherit almost 800,000 income tax free. And she lives in a 1200 square foot house. And every time the market crashed, we took some of the money. She doesn't have any money in CDs. She has all her money in single premium life insurance and, and at the end uh, annuities. And so there's so many spectacular things that we can do for people right now. It's our time. It's the greatest time ever to be an insurance agent. We have the best products we've ever had. We have the best opportunity. Everything that's happening in the world is putting us in perfect position to be a, a, a resource, a advocate and advisor to our customers. And that's what I've always dreamed of being. Never gonna retire. I'm going to be killed by a jealous husband when I'm 125. <laughs> I'm going to be making a sales presentation while I'm dying. <laughs> that's that's great. Thank you so much for your time, for your for your wisdom. Uh, there's so many great things that that you spoke about. Most of them without even being asked. So so I appreciate it greatly. And I know anybody who's watching this is going to get a ton out of it. If you want more, uh, in addition to the other things we talked about, Van has on uh, vanmiller.com uh, podcast you can download and you can find a ton of his stuff all over the, the internet, YouTube and elsewhere. Uh, learn from the people who have figured this out. Uh, the lessons are simple, and you can you you yourself can have a shot at top of the table. Ben, thank you very much. And get a coach, Sandy. Get <laughs> Sandy to be your coach. I'm, I'll bet you any money 
you'll get back a hundred times more than what it costs you to invest in your career. It, 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 I can't tell you how strongly I believe in this. I, I Again, if you really listen to what we just talked about, I have 50 coaches. I have a lot of people that are coaching me and advising me and helping me to still get better and still get better and still get better. And uh, again, having a coach helps you organize that so you do it in the most effective and efficient way possible. Sandy, thank you. Uh, I hope after you turn this off, we can talk for a minute. And, sure. and uh, just everybody, thank you so much for listening. Uh, again, I know you're going to laugh, but I'm terrified that you're not going to like what I just did. It's because I'm judging it while I'm putting it out there. I don't have to think of what to say anymore. I'm pretty much editing. I could stand in front of an audience, no kidding, for 48 hours without a breath. And I could talk about all the things that I'm so excited about in our industry. And that's and what I'm hoping that you take away from this. So I'm hoping you see the sheer joy that I have doing what I do. This isn't work. This isn't hard. Uh, I've made it so that it's a, a system, a methodology that makes it fun every day. And, and then people give you a whole bunch of money. It really makes it fun. <laughs> All right. Thank you again. If you want to talk with me about your journey to the top of the table, contact me at sandychassellecom slash conversation. I'll see you at the top. <laughs>